I have just launched a mastermind called The Circle of Influence, where I'll be taking you under my wing to show you how to build a platform online that generates an income for you so you can have more freedom in your life. I'm also gonna show you how to become a powerful influencer online so that you can score interviews and so you can get exposure on major publications and platforms. And I'm gonna even show you how to build these platforms yourself, such as a website, a podcast, a YouTube channel, and a social media following so that you can get your message out there to millions. I'm also going to show you how to network with other incredible leaders online so that you can interview them and so that you can collaborate with them and really show you how to refine your story so you can share it in an unforgettable way to score more interviews, to score book deals, and to gain more speaking opportunities so that you can become a powerhouse leader. Now, if this speaks to you, make sure you head over to IamJoelBrown.com slash apply and get in before I close my doors on this live interactive exclusive opportunity where I'm gonna go deep with you and with the community of Circle of Influence Game Changers. Don't miss this. Now let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and I'm here today with Ryan Blair, who went from gang member living in poverty to building a billion dollar company you know, we featured Ryan a good eight years ago on Addicted to Success and it's been so awesome to watch his journey as he's, you know, made his way through the entrepreneurial world to then serve so many people in this world, sharing with them great advice around how to be a rock star entrepreneur. Now, Ryan has written a book called Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain and Rock Bottom to Rock Star. And these books have really had a massive impact on so many people that I know that are entrepreneurs that are coming up in the game. And, you know, Ryan has this awesome insight and an intelligent mind when it comes to how to create businesses that impact and bring massive value to the world. So Ryan, I'm so excited to dive into this with you today. Awesome. Thanks for, for jumping yeah, in thank with you, us, man. So I want to jump into your mind a little bit here when we talk about where you were at when you first started, right? And Basically, as I mentioned at the start, when I edified you, I said that you built a, a billion dollar company. Obviously, you didn't do that yourself. Like you were able to build it with a team and, and uh, yeah. you, know, you got to work. You really got to work. Now, yeah. what was driving you, man? How do you go from living in poverty to creating a billion dollar company? What's, what's the well, mindset number like? Number one, we sold it set for $792.8 million, So it was, wasn't a billion. Uh, Almost. I, <laughs> I, I did do it with a, a great team. And, um, and we did over a billion dollars in cumulative sales. We did something like three or something, $3 billion. So yeah. if you were to measure it by, you know, we started a bank account with $0 in it, with zero sales. And in that bank account over a period of 12 years, uh, $4 billion or $3 billion or some big number rolled through it. And we were able to keep a, a tiny chunk of that for ourselves and for our shareholders. And we paid out you know, a lot of money, probably a billion dollars in commissions and lots of money in taxes and, you know, and so forth. So as a ecosystem, we certainly played with billions of dollars and it was fun to spend that money because as a CEO of that company, you know, I got to write the checks and sign the checks and direct the capital. Uh, and, you know, and, and we were, you know, highly profitable during my tenure as well. So it, it was cool, but I, I just want to make sure you guys understood it wasn't a billion dollar company, but, you know, we certainly did billions in sales and uh, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of value creation. Uh, and we ended up selling in 2012. Uh, so your question though was, 
the mindset to do that. Um, the mindset was, you know, we started very small. We saw an opportunity. We uh, we built. We, we our company was built during the 2000. When I joined the business, it was 2005, and we had the recession in 2008. We had to completely revamp the business and change it to an entirely new model. And that model was tested, and it happened to work for the recession that hit in 2008. So by 2009, the business started working. It became the fastest growing company in all of Wall Street. We were, in, we were part of an NYC public traded company. Um, we went from 9 million to 624 million in annual revenue in about two years. And we did about $100 million in EBITDA uh, a year at the very end when we sold. And so we had a valuation at the very end of 792.4 million. And I only know that number because it was like keeping score. We were in an earn out. Um, and that was part of the reason why we did so well was myself and my co-founders had plenty of incentive because when we sold it, we we're only about a $20 million company. And we then had an earn out from there. Right. So you looked at business more as a sport rather oh, than yeah, very much so. getting so I still tied up. Everything, life is a sport. Everything is a sport. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, well, if you, and if you don't believe in, if you don't like sports, it's a game, right? And right. You know, I'm, I'm a man of faith. If you don't believe in faith, believe in simulation theory. And you're a player in a game of, you know, in the simulation. And the question is, is how far can you take your character, right? How far can you take your avatar? If you're in faith, then you believe you have a purpose and a soul. And the question is, is, you know, how can you make sure that you shed away all the things that are stopping you from doing your soul's job and fulfilling your purpose? But, you know, no matter how you get there, uh, uh, theologically, it's all a game, basically. Yeah, no, I love that. I love it. So let's have a look at it like like this, right? Then if for you, if, if this is a, a sport or a game, what, what was your best play? If you were to look back at it now, what do you feel was your best move that you've ever played? Well, we, we were the first at Vaisalis. We were the first to embrace social media in the direct selling industry. So direct selling was done in dens and living, living rooms. Uh, meaning people weren't uh, out there publicly talking about it. It didn't use traditional forms of uh, marketing. And we were young kids that had embraced technology. And so we created what was called the Body by Vi 90 Day Challenge. And then we instructed our team on how to market and share the challenge socially on social media. And while all of our competition, you know, the old folks like Amway and Herbalife, they were telling their people, don't post on social media don't uh, bring your team onto social media. We were making our entire business about social media. And so we were the first to actually take a challenge and, and push it on social media. And as you've seen, everybody has a challenge now. You have the ice bucket challenge, you have a million people doing challenges. And we were the first to actually do that and the pioneers and using social media to propagate a challenge. And it's still to this day is you know constantly being reinvented. You're seeing new challenges all the time. The, bottle cap challenge, uh, the ice bucket challenge, you know, some really cool stuff. So we were the very first people to commercialize that concept. And we did so when social media had yet to really be commercialized as well. So, you know, Facebook wasn't making money when we first started using social media in early 2008, 2009 as our primary way of communicating. And so, you know, we were some of the very first people to embrace social media. And as a result, we got a head start in front of all of our competition. And we also were the first to mobile um, meaning, you know, we had a distributed sales force and we had lots of field members out there. 
And my vision was we built apps and I invested in application technology companies to bring apps to our fields so that they could conduct their business in the field and market through the field. And so, you know, we really embraced technology um, and we really embraced uh, social media, I think, were the two key moves that we made that differentiated us from everyone else. And we got the messaging right. We were fanatical in messaging. And, you know, and so that's part of the reason why my books have done so well is, you know, I've always been very fanatical in terms of trying to get the messaging right and trying to create messaging that duplicates and that people will remember. We don't always get it right, and I don't either, but, you know, that's, that's what I strive to do as a writer. I love this, man. I really love this because I feel like that's what so many people struggle with. Just before I, I mention this, I, I love the fact that you guys went and found where the eyeballs were and then you gamified it. Like you yeah. made it a fun experience for people so yeah. they would, you know, share it with each other and, uh, and commit to it, which is really awesome. Yeah. yeah, we really gamified customer acquisition. So if you were to look at just on the pure business model metrics, we were signing up 162,000 new members a month at an average of $180 a month. Uh, and so if you think about the recurring revenue on that, we scaled to 65 million a month in monthly recurring revenue. Um, and that's when we announced we were about to go public and, and that created a whole another series of, of difficulties on the business that I write about in my next book. But uh, yeah, we, we went from, I would be hanging out with my friends and I would hit refresh on my screen. Every time I hit refresh, $1,000 rolled in. I could do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I'd see $1,000 roll in. And it just became viral. It became such a cool sensation. And so now, and I have kind of set up a lab here in Los Angeles where I live. And so now, you know, the goal is to create new innovations that someday have that type of opportunity. But yeah, that's the, there's a number of things we got right. Um, but, you know, we, we are really a metric-driven company. Um, messaging was key. And finding a message that, that duplicated and that people needed at the time and that people could speak about in their you know, in their comfort zone. And we, we did that and we made it very simple and it was called the body by by 90 day challenge. Um, and people would just talk about the challenge and it's, you know, as opposed to selling you vitamins and selling you the nutrients in the back of the, the, the bottle, they just said, you know, here are my results. They sold their testimony. And our customer acquisition model was if you got three people to join the challenge with you, we would give you the product for free. And so this was during a recession period. And so people were very happy to share their challenge to get discounts and get points and then maybe get the product for free as well. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So if you're listening right now and you're an entrepreneur, I want you to really think about this. Challenge your mind. Think about, okay, how can I gamify what I'm offering right now? How can I get my community involved? Because you can only do so much yourself, but if you can get your tribe to jump in with you and to move yeah. with you, you yeah. don't necessarily need the team that you think that you need because you can get your movement to, to jump in. Yeah. With. yeah. We, I mean, we started with, you know, 10, 15 people and we ended up selling out stadiums. 18,800 people was, uh, you know, I gave a speech one time and that was the, the, the largest speech that we had in terms of ticket sales. So you can do that. What I would always tell my team was you, you're selling through the customer, right? So my sale doesn't stop at the customer, the sale, is when the customer starts selling, right? So my marketing materials, my messaging should be for me to attract the customer and for them to then attract everyone else. What I see everybody doing right now is hard closing uh, using social media, Instagram. You know, some of the big names out there are on there all day long trying to close customers. They're not getting their customers to engage in their movement uh, and getting their customers to become advocates. And you can do 
you, you know, you can build your product with that built into it. You can build that into your margins. You can build that into your offering so that your customers, when they receive the package or when they receive the download or whatever it is, their first duty is to absorb it, digest it, consume it, and then share it. And if they do that, they go a step up in the game. And so you can do that if you're creative in the way that you construct your products. Um, but I see a lot of people just seeking the sale and they're losing the opportunity to create, you know, an evangelist uh, and, uh, and, you know, and to sell through the customer. Yeah. You want your tribe members to be a product of the product. It's like they're actually yeah. living it and embodying it. And then they're that excited yeah. that they just share it. Yeah. 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 I love that, man. So just before you mentioned that you've got to get the messaging down really well, do you have a formula or a template or anything like that, that, you know, any of the listeners right now can, can bring on board next time it comes to writing out their message or sharing their message? So I test my message on my son. I test my message on the lowest common denominator I can find when it comes to messaging. And he's a very smart child, but I try to test my message on uh, people that are not um, sophisticated in messaging. You know, and if I can, if they, uh, so like right now I'm writing a new book and I'm testing the content. And if I hear a person um, utilize the content in a practical environment, today I met with a person that I'm mentoring him and I'm giving him some of my new content in my book. And he said, he's at the DMV and it was a terrible experience. And he used one of the isms within my new book. And so I knew, okay, this is gonna work, right? This, this one little piece of content, if it's applicable and practical, practical in the DMV, when you know you're subject to, you know some of the worst treatment in the American DMV system uh, that you can find, then you know then that particular ism is going to work. And the ism was, I'm not always where I want to be, but I'm always where I need to be. He needed to be in the DMV because he had he had uh, a ticket that he had to handle, and so he wasn't where he wanted to be. He's where he needed to be, and it was a it's a Friday here and it's beautiful out, and he wanted to do anything but hang out in the DMV all day. But I told him you need to get your driver's license fixed. You know, otherwise you can't drive for me and you can't spend time with me and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, he's not, you're not always where you want to be, but you're always where you need to be was the ism. So the fact that he was using that in the DMV uh, told me that other people could find practicality in that. So I'm always testing my messaging. I'm always seeking, uh, you know, um, uh, I'll, I'll go find a stranger. I'll do anything I can to try to test the messaging because all too often we fall in love with our messaging. And you have to extract yourself and you have to be able to observe the messaging in you know, as wide of an audience as you possibly can and see what sticks. And nothing to lose, the things that stuck, the things that people still buy the book over today and the things that people still share today are not things that I thought would be the, you know, the, the words that worked. And that's one of the things, I'm always seeking the words that work. And in a sales pitch, in a marketing formula, I'm, there are a set of words that work. There's there's language that will work to get you the result in anything, whether you're p pitching an investor, whether you're asking a girl on a date, whether you're trying to recruit a new uh, partner, uh, you're trying to persuade a vendor to give you terms, anything can be solved with words that work. You just have to find the words that will work for the individual that you're targeting. Uh, and it could be on a one-on-one -on -one basis or it could be on a basis of masses. Words are very powerful. Um, you know, they, 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 uh, they have a lot of power to them. And so I'm a big fan of, you know, trying to really find the energy of the right set of words to get people to take action. And that's the way you have to look at the words that you're utilizing in everything that you do, right? There's a, there's a, yeah. 
there's a language of light, so to speak, and you just have to find that language. And you'll see people's light bulbs just turn on when you say it, and you'll see the light bulbs turn off when you say the wrong words. In the selling environment, it's real easy to see, like you will lose a sale if you say these words, right? Or if you say too many words, you'll gain a sale if you say the right words. And so your objective is to say the right words to gain the sale. And so the only way that you'll get good and consistent and proficient to that is if you start out with a set of your best possible words, and then you refine those words as you go to get to even a better set of words that will have a higher conversion ratio, right? So that's, that's the goal. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I feel like nowadays powerful and punchy works really well. And I think that when someone sees something that is powerful and punchy, they see that you've taken the time to really get familiar with what it is that you're sharing. Yeah. And I think that's a great thing to do because we live in a world where it's so fast paced and there's this saturation of noise that if people feel like in your messaging with your content that you're respecting their time, that you're really just bringing, you know, whatever you perceive as value, but like a, a yeah. higher, higher value of like dialed in, tuned in, you know. Well, that's confidence as well, right? It's confidence, so it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's, if you take the confidence that you will become, for one, you should be simple. Two, you should be duplicatable. So, you know, body by Vi had an implied concept, meaning I have a body by Vi. Well, what's Vi? So if a person said, oh, you look great. You've lost 20 pounds, Ryan. I have a body by Vi. Your next thing is going to be what's Vi? Well, let me tell you what Vi is. Vi is a challenge. So the, the basic statement induced a question of, well, what's that? And it also induced an implicity of, you know, a body by something else well what is something else and so the the duplication created a question then the question you know and we trained our people how to answer that question so uh yes you know they it needs to be direct it needs to be simple you need to be congruent in how you deliver those words and the only way you become congruent in delivery of words is if you practice the delivery of words so you have to utilize your voice and you have to test that and then you will become refined and sharing your particular voice. Now, what I do see a lot of people doing is hijacking other people's voices. I'm a good friend of Tony Robbins. He's mentored me. I've worked with him for quite some time. I've studied him, and I've had the privilege of interviewing him. And I see a lot of people trying to be Tony Robbins, or I see a lot of people trying to be Grant Cardone or Gary Vee, or, you know, and, and you've got to find your own voice, your own set of words that are in harmony with yourself and with your mind and your body and your soul, if you believe in souls. So that way when you use those words, people trust those words because they're flowing out of you, right? It's like, you're not, you know, trying to be Tony or trying to use NLP or any of these sales tactics that people have, you know, become attuned to. All of the sales tactics, and I see it, I, I follow a lot of these guys and, you know, there's a lot of tactics out there and I see a lot of people utilizing the same tactics to try to get you to, like and subscribe and buy my course. And, you know, that's great. Those are some call to actions that are working in the environment, but they won't work forever. And they won't work for certain types of individuals. You have to find your own natural call to action. Otherwise, you're just gonna sound like somebody else. And when I hear that, and I hear the similarity between you and your voice and someone else's, I'm going to discount you, or I'm gonna just go buy their products because I'm gonna see that they're derived from, you know, a true master, for example. Yeah, that's such a great point. I feel like people have a bucket in their mind that can only hold so much, you know, in certain industries. I know Tony talks about this at his business mastery event where he says, you know, when you think of fast food, it's 
it's McDonald's and it's, you know, Burger King and KFC. And then that's pretty much it. Like most people only hold a few. So when you think of the top, you know, inspirational speakers or transformational coaches, you want to be in the top three, yeah. top one, like number one, if you can, but, but really yeah. if you're a second rate version of somebody else, you're never going to get there. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the good part about today is we all can get a thousand true fans, right? So every single one of us that has a story to tell and has some skills that have been built uh, and experience to share can get a thousand true fans. And if you can get those thousand true fans to pay you a hundred dollars a year, you can make $100,000 a year and you can live life pretty well on a hundred grand a year as an entrepreneur, especially if you're young. Uh, you know, so, so we all can get there. Now, the only way you'll get 1000 people to follow you and give you a hundred dollars a year or a hundred dollars a month or whatever it is that your product offering is, is if you have a unique voice, right? You have to have a unique voice to get a thousand people to follow you. And, but you don't need to have, don't, you don't even need to compare yourself to Tony Robbins or, or um, uh, uh, you know, Gary Vee or any of the people that are in the, the top of the top. Those people's voices all started very small and they built very big, but they're very unique voices. Um, and so once you have a unique voice that 10 people will buy from, then you try to expand that unique voice to 20 people and 30 people and, and then and so forth. But you, you, know, you, you have to start with your true authentic voice, like your own set of words that you're going to utilize to describe your story, your experience, your products, and what it is you have to offer the world that no one else does. And that's what you really have to get to. Yeah, I feel that. Do you feel like the more that you write books, write articles, books, just write, right? Like pour yeah. out, get, get it out of you. And the more that you do things like this, like interviews and have meetings, the more you start to find your own voice. Yeah. Well, one of the maxims I have in my new book is you have to use your voice to find your voice. So you absolutely have to use your voice to find your voice. Now, my process over the past two years is I had used my voice extensively on the road, 250 days a year, traveling all around the world. Uh, and I did that for a good 10 years. Um, and so I then took a step back and I did a vow of silence, which was a spiritual endeavor. I stopped talking for quite some period of time. I, I re-evaluated every book that I've ever read, which is hundreds, thousands now, well, hundreds of books I've read, thousands of books that I've, I've touched or I've grabbed a piece of principle from, um, hundreds of books that I've fully read and, and, and enjoyed. And I re-evaluated, you know, what was it that I received from that? And then I went back and I actually worked on my voice physically I'm talking vocal exercises. I'm talking enunciation, you know, listening to my interviews. How many times did I say the word, um, how many times did I pause and re-engineered and refactored my voice? So, you know, there's a technical process to, to creating a voice. Uh, there's a technical process to finding a voice. And, and, you know, I found mine more by happenstance. I was an entrepreneur, uh, I, I had to sell to keep the lights on. And the more I sold, the more I talked, and the more I talked, you know, the more people would book me to speeches and events. And next thing you know, every day of the week, I had the privilege to share my story, my experience, and, and use my voice. Now, over the past two years, you know, I've really gone back and said, what are the things that made it special? What are the things that really resonated, that really connected? What are the things that I was able to give and receive simultaneously in doing so. 
And then what were the things that, you know, were more tactical in nature? So, you know, you have to deploy tactics to get results, but you have to evaluate those tactics and ask yourself, are they in alignment with your true voice, right? So there's an art and a science to it. Yeah, this is uh, great advice for so many people out there that are struggling to find their voice. So thank you for sharing yeah. this, man. I love it. Now, let's talk about money mindset. You know, you've obviously dealt with a lot of money over the years. You've invested in a lot of things. I feel like a lot of people nowadays are struggling with holding a, a money mindset that is yeah. long-term way of thinking. They're all trying to get rich quick and there's a lot of distractions yeah. out there. So uh, can you break it down yeah. for us, man? What are a few things you've learned around like really yeah. harnessing a strong money mindset? Well, money is energy, okay? And if you just see it as energy, then and it is not any time that you have energy of fear around money that's negative anytime you have positive energy around money that's positive and so if you want to have positive money in your life meaning you want to have a positive bank account and you want to have checks coming in you have to have po positive energy associated with that money and now that might be as simple as asking for the person to buy at the end of each sales call I see so many entrepreneurs just fail to have the courage to say okay, now's the time where I ask you to give me your money, right? I mean, it is that simple. Like if I were to sell you a book right now and, and I'm, sell, I, I, I'm selling your audience the book right now, okay? I'd like you guys all to go out there and buy my book. I have no problem asking you to buy it. It's gonna go to a good cause. It's gonna help put food on my table and I'm gonna write more books as a result of you buying that book. And the, you know, the, the value creation event is great and it's probably $8 on Amazon right now and I think you're gonna get at least $8 of value out of it. And so I have no problem saying, buy my book. It's gonna do more good for you than the amount of money that you're going to spend. And I'm mad at myself if I don't tell you that, right? Because people are afraid to ask for the order. You know, the old um, uh, biblical, ask and you shall receive, right? You gotta ask for the order. People don't do it. I've had people pitch me on investments and I was like, okay, I'm gonna wait to see if this entrepreneur, and I really like the idea, is gonna ask me, and they literally like stop the meeting and they create another follow-up meeting as opposed to saying, you know, when would you like to invest if you'd like to invest at all, Ryan? Or do you have the money to invest? Or, you know, is this something that you would invest in? And if so, is it something that you would invest in in the near future or are we gonna be talking for the next two years? One of the things I, I told a person I was mentoring the other day, I said, start the conversation with one, do you have money? Right? Like you get on the phone with the person <laughs> interested in your product. Okay. One, you're interested in my product. I have a $2,000 retreat in Bali. Can I ask you a question before we get, you know, really deep in this? Do you have money? And if they say, no, I don't have money. Great. I'm going to teach you what you should probably do to obtain money in your life. So you can afford my event in Bali, or I'm going to you know, tell you about my free product that you should absorb a hundred percent or go to these YouTube videos and absorb all this information and come back to me once you've taken action so that you have the $49 or the $249 or the $549 or the 2995 or whatever it is, dollars necessary. I'm not gonna abandon you if you don't have the money. I'm gonna know exactly where you are and I'm gonna give you some free resources so that you can go get paid so you can come back to me when you have that money, right? Because there's plenty of free resources out there that we all have access to, whether it be on YouTube or cheap resources, books or 
you know, $49 this, whatever it is, it'll give you a mindset so that you can go figure out how to make $2,900 so that you can afford to be at the retreat, right? So, so my approach is, you know, money is an energy. Um, if I want more money, I have to put myself into a frequency that is going to harmonize with people who have it and then they will give me their money, right? It's that simple. And whether I need money for an investment that I'm building, like if I'm building a big company, I've always fundraised for that. So I've always sought other people to participate in my investments. Um, nowadays with crowdfunding, with uh, all the various distributed forms of fundraising, you know, there's no excuses for not being able to fund a project, for not having money, right? So you have all the information you need to be able to, to and, and what I found, I had a lot of people have the objection that they didn't have the money at, at Vaisalis, and we had a $500 uh, product that we would sell. And I'd tell them, do you have a cable TV? You know, do you have a TV and do you have cable? Okay, great, let's go sell your TV and cancel your cable subscription and you'll have the money, right? People, it's not that they don't have the money, it's that they're comfortable uh, in the lifestyle that they have where they don't have money. And so, you know, if you're willing to change the lifestyle you have to buy this product because you believe in it, then great, I'll teach you and I'll help you walk through that process. But if you're telling me you don't have the money because you know, you're spending it on Fortnite or you're spending it on a thousand other things, then I'm gonna tell you, you just don't have the energy necessary for the money that you need or the money that you want. So let's just change that energy and let's change the things that you have in your life that are creating a negative energy in your space around money. And it could be people that you have in your life that are creating that negative energy. It could be objects that you've collected. It could be fears that you've collected. You know, it could be a long list of things that are stopping you from collecting more money. But if you want more money, it's real simple. Cleanse your old beliefs on the subject. Cleanse the crap that you have collected and go invest all that you can find and all that you can dig up into whatever it is that's going to be new in your life. New books, new information, new content, new experiences, new friends, uh, a trip to where people with money exist, right? Whatever it is to change your current stagnation around the subject of money. That's my, that's my yeah. belief system. And I've generated billions of dollars with that belief system. So it's worked. Golden advice, man. I was in uh, Monte Carlo in Monaco a yeah. good month ago. A lot of money there. That place. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm just surrounded by it. And it's funny, like, you know, uh, Positano in Italy and Mafia Coast and like just, shifting into a different environment they say your environment has a 40 percent effect on your mental state yeah. and you know when you're there you just realize okay so the the pricing on things is different you know you, you're spending you know a little bit more and then you look at it like obviously it's relative but for me when i was there it really challenged my mindset around like okay what do i need to step up in my life for this to be a new normal yeah i think a lot of yeah. people don't do that yeah you know i'm privileged to live in uh you know, one of the richest places on earth. You know, I live in Hollywood, but we have Beverly Hills and Bel Air, and you have homes here that are on the market for $200 million. And so, you know, if I ever wanted inspiration, I could just drive down the street and go look at one of these houses. And then I asked myself, you know, there's no difference between me and them. And if you find standards that are self-made, you know, a Saudi prince, that's a whole different ballpark. That person inherited wealth, you know, they have a whole different uh, uh, thing, and I'm not trying to model inherited wealth trying to model self-made wealth. And so I'll go find standards and find uh, people. One of my standards and a role model for me is a guy named Dan Gilbert, uh, founder of Quicken Loans, and he owns the Cavaliers, and he has a gigantic empire. And I've had the privilege to be mentored by him. 
And, you know, I, I look at his association with money and his beliefs on money. And one of the things that he taught me is uh, money doesn't lead, it follows. And when he told me that, this is a man with many billions of dollars and he has all the toys that you could dream up. He owns hundred office buildings, he owns, you know, the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers, the Cleveland Indians, I mean, sports teams, casinos. He's got a lot of money. And it's all because he focused on culture and he focused on, you know, the thing that created the money, which was an excellence toward customer, uh, a fanaticism toward engineering great products. You know, it was, and it was all by that mantra that money doesn't lead, it follows. And so anytime you're focused on money, you got to find the thing that, you know, it comes from. So in my particular case, if I, if I want to create more wealth in my life, I have to write another book, right? But it's not just write a book to go create more wealth. It's find out what my readers really need and what my readers are going to be able to utilize in life. Find out what they're going to uh, be able to utilize for the rest of their lives. Find out things that are practical, like I said earlier, that they can utilize in the DMV. Find, you know, I have to go do the work. And I'll, I'll tell you, when you do really hard work, you create something of value. So like, if you think about a school analogy, if you're writing a doctoral thesis and you write the best thesis and you get a great grade and you graduate, right? That's all you spent, that 200,000 in your college education to write a damn report so you could get a good grade and a piece of paper. But it's not that, it's all the work, that, that the accumulated work that went into the report and the hard work that you did in writing that thesis is what generated the grade, which gave you the diploma, which gives you the value in the marketplace. But you can utilize that same concept as an entrepreneur. Write the white paper, write the book, write the thesis, create the documentary, uh, interview a hundred people that are of standards or of icons, do the work that other people won't do and you'll be able to create more value than other people and you'll have a product that will have intrinsic value in it because of the time and the energy and the length that you went into building it. You know, when I created my first documentary uh, on YouTube, Nothing to Lose, the documentarian director, Andrew Sandler, has now done Chris Brown's documentary, Mary J. Blige. He's done documentaries everywhere. He's, you know, he's, he's blowing up in this world and he's a, he's a protege of mine, but I was like insistent that not only did we have a storyline formula, but we went back through and we found the right content and the right footage and we recut it. And if there was sound that was off, if there was video that was off and we watched that thing a thousand times. When you write a book, uh, you submit it to the publisher and you have to reread it hundreds of times until you're blue in the face uh, and you still miss typos, right? But there's, there's a direct correlation between the amount of energy, the, the focus, the intensity, and the work that you do in the product before you release the product that correlates to the product's um, uh, end result of revenue generation. And so that's the way you have to look at it. I see a lot of entrepreneurs that are broke, but they're not building great products. They're just saying the same stuff that everybody else is saying. You know, their course sounds exactly like everybody else's course. Uh, you know, their, their roadmap to success is very similar to everybody else's roadmap to success. And so you have to create your own you know, roadmap. You might be able to take other people's inspirations and you should cite those inspirations, but really, really, really do your own homework, do your own research, you know, read a hundred books and then derive the simplest practices in order for your product to exist. Don't just go copy everybody else's stuff out there because that won't create enough intrinsic value for you to have a differentiated product in the marketplace. Yeah, there are a lot of people nowadays that are even 
even something as simple as like a quote, right? They're like sharing other people's quotes and taking the, the it, yeah. name out and putting their name there. It's yeah. like, come on, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the one where it's like, uh, uh, you miss every shot, or you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I think it was yeah. Wayne Gretzky that said that. I've seen yeah. that thing pop up on a lot of people's feeds. And I'm like, you're not even in sports and you're stealing that one, right? <laughs> it's fine to share other people's work. Uh, it's fine to, but you know, don't steal other people's work. Don't put your name on their quote. Uh, that's that's crossing the line. I'll, I, I'll I'll blindly share stuff that I see other people blindly sharing that I think is good and is going to spread good. But you know, you take it a step too far when you put your name on someone else's quote. You know, I see that a lot, and you know that that's sad. But you know, it, it happens. Plagiarism has been around since since writing. You know, I think that. I think the key, and there's a lot of people that are teaching that as a, as a way of building a business. There's a lot of courses about how you too can become a course builder by, by, file, you know, by basically stealing this system and using my words and just putting your face to it. And that's yeah. not going to work. You have to create your own words and your own energy in the system. Uh, otherwise, people are just going to see it. You know, I've seen a lot of people creating, selling systems about how you too can sell this system. And that'll work some of the time, but it's not gonna work uh, after you know the market saturates. And every market saturates. I mean, I've had the, the, the disfortune of having created a saturated product. I signed up, we signed up, I should say, three million people on the Body by Vi 90 Day Challenge. And then it didn't work as much where when it was brand new and no one had heard of it uh, and no one had tried it, it had you know 100% interest rate or a significant percent of interest and then a certain percent of, of closure. But once a person had heard, three of their friends did it, one of it worked, two of them it didn't, four, or whatever the variable was, the interest rate went down because saturation had hit uh, in the marketplace. And so right now, Instagram is saturated uh, with people marketing very similar offerings. That's for sure. So the only way that you're going to be successful is if you create a differentiated offering to that of what everyone else is out there doing. When I say successful, I don't mean $100,000 a year in income because you can pretty much find, you know, a thousand people to buy $100 a year worth of something in any niche uh, out there with your own unique, you know, touch on it. But to create something that is billion dollar successful, you're going to have to find, you know, a million plus people uh, that haven't heard, you know, Tony Robbins say this, or Grant Cardone say that, or Gary Vee say that, you know, so you can't just go, uh, hunting for messaging out there. If you're utilizing the same tools that those messengers are utilizing, you're gonna to have to find a differentiated message. Yeah, and I think really the, the key principle in all this is you're only cheating yourself because you can yeah. go and copy what these people are saying, but you're not being in the practice of learning how to express what's naturally you. You just keep kind of copying for someone else and you're doing things the easy way. Yeah. And so therefore yeah, you don't bring any value into the marketplace. Yeah, you're not bringing unique uh, value into the marketplace. I mean, you're absolutely right. And the other thing I'd share is, you know, the neat part about where we're at today is we have so much new content, right? Like every day uh, there is a national disaster. There's a uh, tragedy in the environment, like we're dealing with the Amazon right now. There's political uh, craziness. So you can find ways to create content every single day. It just takes work, right? Like you just have to, you have to do the homework. You have to you have to be genuinely interested and curious, and you have to you know ask yourself. You have to really find yourself, and then ask yourself what is your unique perspective on this 
particular situation? And then do I have people that are interested in that perspective? And how do I find those people that are interested in that unique perspective? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Ryan, I want to be raw and real and vulnerable with you. You know, before when you were talking about making the sale and you said, the, the first question you could ask is, do you have money? It's so funny because, you know, I consider myself pretty good, relatively good at, at sales. When you said that, I was like, oh, and I was trying to imagine myself starting the call with that. And it was, a, yeah. it was a pinch, man. I was like, damn, like, could I do that? And the, the answer yeah. obviously is yes, I can. I feel like there may be a little hurdle. How do we get around this? Because I'm sure I'm not the only for one that's one, listening to this one, right now. For one, say it with a smile. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> you can say anything in life to anybody as long as you have a genuine smile on your face. And, you know, two, you want to build enough rapport, right? So you don't, you know, when I say start to call, you know, you 80% of a sales trust and rapport, okay? So you got to get to the 80%, you got 100 yards that you're trying to score a touchdown on. You got to get to the 80 yard line of trust and rapport. Uh, now, you should be able to ask enough questions to know whether or not a person has money or not during your trust and rapport process, right? So tell me a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? And, you know, if I told you oh, I live in the Hollywood Hills, that's an indication that I have money, okay? You know, because it's not cheap to live in the Hollywood Hills. If I tell you I live in an apartment with my mom, that's an indication that I might not have money, right? You know, doesn't mean I don't have money because I might be studious and saving in the apartment that I live in with my mom and my mom might be rich, who knows? But you should be asking questions and you should be asking them yourself, and you, you should develop your product offering so, you know, you, you can serve, you know, if your audience resonates with you and there's not a lot of people out there with money, there's only a small percentage of people. So you should be able to developing, develop your product offering where you might have a product for people who don't have money and you have a product for people who do have money. And your goal though is not to waste people's time that don't have money or waste your time. And as much as I don't want to waste your time is the way I would say this. So like, if I lead you down a path to sell you my $10,000, uh, you know, widget, uh, and you don't have that, boy, have I wasted your time. Now, if you as a person of, of means, uh, if I spent a half an hour selling you my $49 product, you're like, Ryan, I want the full package, man. Like you just wasted, you know, an hour of my life. I've done you a disservice. So I take the approach of, look, I'm a straight shooter. I want to know exactly where you're at so I can figure out how to, you know, elevate you or to, you know, increase your prosperity or whatever it is. And I need you to be honest with me and I'll be honest with you and let's do this, right? We're on this telephone, not to waste time and money. Um, and, but you know, it's a level of like, it's a level of, I, I have a level of confidence around the subjects of money that I could just say to people, you know, listen, I used to be poor. And so if you're poor, I don't have a problem with that. Just tell me you're poor and then I'll tell you what we can do to make you not poor. Uh, yeah. If you're in the middle class, I've been in the middle class. I don't have a problem with that. Just tell me you're in the middle class and I'll give you my middle class product. If you're rich, listen, I'm rich. I know what it's like to be rich. I have a product for rich people, but I need you to tell me where you think you are right now so I can help you get to where I, we both are on the phone to go. And then you can make a decision if you're going to spend or not. But I hope you make that decision at the end of this call so that way we don't have to waste more time and money on this, right? So, you know, it's a level of, but, you know, I, I'm not... Um, superficial about the subject. I mean, I'm just, I just deeply don't want to waste anybody's time, um, you know, offering something that, that they can't afford. Yeah. That's rock solid advice, man. Thank you so much for going into that. That's actually yeah. really cool. I'm going to try it. Man. Smile. Smile. 
You know, and the other way you can do that, the other way you can always do something is you can tell a story about the subject that you're uncomfortable with. So you can say, listen, I've, I've talked to 300 people about this new course or this new product or this new retreat uh, about the product. And I found that there's three types of people out there. There's people that don't have money, but they have a lot of, you know, positivity and they're on the phone with me and they're learning more about this so that they can, you know, go perhaps find the money to get there. There's people that do have the money, but it's tight and they're not 100% sure if they want to get, you know, if they want to invest right now. There's people that have so much money, but, you know, they, they do five events a year and they, uh, uh, they want to make sure that they pick the right five. Which one of the three do you find yourself in? Are you a type one, a type two, or a type three? Right? So there's ways you can structure your narrative and your script to elicit without, you know, just saying, do you have money or not? I, I can be more direct because I've built a brand that's pretty direct, right? Um, and, you know, and, and I make sure that I'm edified correctly before I'm on the phone with somebody. I mean, I'm not in the business of asking for money from people right now. I'm somewhat retired. But when I was, I made sure that I was edified properly prior to being on the phone so that I could be straight and be direct and not have to start from the beginning, right? So for example, if a person transferred a telephone call to me when I would ask for an order 10 years back, uh, you know, they would say, listen, you know, Ryan values his time. He believes time is money. He's going to ask you some direct questions. Just answer them honestly and directly, and it's going to be fantastic, and you're going to get some great advice that you wouldn't get otherwise. You know, can I ask that of you before I transfer you? And the person would say, yeah, you know, yeah, sure, I'll, you know, pause. And then when I'm on the phone with the person, I can just be direct, right? I don't have to, you know, start from the beginning and build trust and rapport all over again. Edification is key in a selling environment. Yeah, I do love that. You know, uh, you look at somebody like Grant Cardone, he even educates his followers to invest in products. Like he talks about it so often to the point where he can be so direct because they're used to that talk. Yeah. So you made a, a pretty good point about that. It's like people yeah, I, know, I know, I know Grant. Uh, he is, his value system. So the interesting thing about Grant that you don't see is there and that he doesn't share and that I know exists and others know exists, but there's a value system in there. Deep down, a simple set of values make him as relentless in the pursuit of money as he is. And that set of values, like him or not, I'm not here to judge any other person, but it's a set of values that he has within him that make him constantly selling, relentlessly selling, educating people on, you know, and you see it with a number of other people that are inspired by him out there. Like I see many Grant Cardones uh, in the environment and I love it, right? You know, God bless him. Uh, you know, that's his method and, but it's a value system. Not all of us came from his exact identical experience or can relate to that identical experience. So we can't model that exact closing method. We gotta find our own closing methods. But, you know, use story narratives um, uh, in, in your selling environment for sure, because people will relate to those stories if they're not relating to you. Um, so that's, that's a very important aspect of how to sell. Yeah. Story selling is the most important way you can possibly sell. Yeah, I mean, you look at somebody like Jesus. Yeah, you know, he, he was the greatest great. salesman of all time. Like when you look at it like that, if you yeah. want to like base it yeah. in that way, like he, he talked in parables. It was so moving. People are still sharing it today. So yeah, you know, yeah. so for one, he has a number one brand. Uh, there's him with 1.6 billion followers. Next is Muhammad. Next <laughs> is Buddha. They don't have any social media. Uh, so you can't say, well, they just had better social media managers or a better advertising firm. Their message, all three of them, still propagates all around the world today and they're still adding new members. And so, you know, I studied theology and I know that's your background. 
and it's you know it's a passion of mine because I really study messaging and I like to find messaging that works and once you find it it's magic because you know your readers in my case for a book they start to do the selling for you and I don't have to sell anything when that happens but the first phase of you have to build the product then you have to sell the product you have to master the process of selling the product then you have to teach your customers how to sell the product right and then when you reinforce that enough then you don't have to sell the product anymore yeah ooh ooh I like that uh, an automated system in a way because you've established really good grounding I love that yeah so Ryan you mentioned before that you've had mentorship from Tony Robbins what was maybe one or two standout things that you learned from Tony that you still implement in your life today yeah you know I I will share later I have an interview that I did with him for an hour and 20 minutes where I grilled him um, I have a list of questions that I have just you know for myself that I, I write lists of questions that I ask of myself um, and then I ask other people those questions so I asked Tony some really good questions but you know I asked him the old question that we all have used as interviewers um, which is what would you tell your 20 year old version of yourself and he went into this meditative trance and I've shared it on my Instagram a couple times where he just said I would tell myself breathe brother just breathe and I took that literally meaning learn how to breathe and so in my past two years I've actually learned how to read I've relearned how to breathe uh, doing various breathing techniques, various uh, breathing exercises. I've uh, implemented breathing in my martial arts. I've implemented implemented breathing in my vocal work. Uh, I've implemented breathing techniques. But I, I took what he said literally because he said people are going to, you know, let you down. You're going to go through tough times. You're going to have, you know, difficulty. And he's recently had difficulty. And I have no doubt that he had to deploy the very practice that he told me during, you know, his recent uh, uh, bouts of difficulty that he's had. And that was just breathe. You can breathe yourself through anything, but you have to learn how to breathe. Whether you want to be a better uh, athlete, you want to be a uh, you want to manage anxiety or depression, you want to um, uh, you want to in increase your vitality, you want to increase your balance of your body, you want to uh, defuse negative situations. Breathe. So learn to breathe. So when he said that to me, I was not uh, versed in the art of breathing. And I can tell you, I've spent a lot of time learning and mastering breathing as a subject as a result of saying that. Uh, I guess that would be, that'd be probably the most profound thing that he said was learn how to breathe. Basically, indirectly, he said, just breathe, brother. But what I took that was literally reverse engineer the biology and the, you know, and the physical process of breathing so that I could use it in events and boy have I utilized breathing through many cool events yeah yeah you get yourself centered right it's like a recalibration technique yeah yeah it's well yeah so it's recalibration it's integrating um, I've taught it to my son who he used to have uh, uh, autism and you know you're never really cured from autism but he no longer displays the symptoms of autism and breathing has been a hugely important aspect of our journey uh, together. And I used to have anxiety, I had sleeping issues. Breathing has, has elevated me physically, uh, mentally and spiritually in amazing ways. It's, 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 a, it's a cool thing. So I would say that, you know, Tony's big on meditation. Um, and so he got me into 
different forms and, and studying different practices of meditation. The peak state um, concept of creating an anchor. Mine is, you know, I hit my chest powerfully and put yourself in a peak state. You know, there, there's countless things that I've learned from Tony Robbins. I mean, I could I could write a book on just, you know, what I've learned from him. I've I've read. I've been. I was exposed to him when I was 20 years old. No, 18 years old. And I'm 42, so 24 years uh, worth of studying this individual. And I've I've gone through mountains of his published work, but I've also been able to observe him in uh, his environment, working with his team members, you know, behind the scenes. And so it's been a privilege uh, to be able to, you know, see him and model him and learn from him. But I think, you know, a lot of people listening will say, well, I, I didn't get mentored by Tony Robbins or I wasn't exposed to him 20 years back. So that, you got to understand, I've applied the same approach to studying Tony Robbins as I've applied to studying John Wooden, who uh, was a, a great American basketball coach who mentored me. Uh, he's since passed away. I've studied Tony Shea relentlessly. I've studied Dan, Dan Gilbert uh, relentlessly. I, but I also study people when I go on hikes. You know, I go for walks and I, I don't put earphones in and listen to crap music. I listen to nature. I listen to the conversations of people that are walking by me. Um, you know, I try to deeply listen to friends when I have the privilege of spending time with friends and talking to them. So I think, you know, ultimately I've learned a lot from Tony, but I, I've learned, I learned, learning is my number one thing I do every single day. It's my greatest habit. So, yeah, you know, yeah. but I've learned a lot from Tony. Yeah, you'd have a pretty awesome network out there in California too, and especially in yeah. LA. Yeah, yeah, I'm blessed to be able to have a network here. But you know, I've just written to folks, like even when I didn't have a best-selling book as a calling card, I would read an article in Forbes, I would tear it out, and I'd write to the guy. And a lot of times I get a letter back, or then when email became popular, which I was before that time when, you know, I started as a tech technologist right when email, you know, was out there. So when email came out, I would just reverse engineer, figure out what that person's email was most likely to be. You know, most people utilize a first character, last name, uh, nomenclature in their corporate email systems. So I guessed Bill Gates' email. I guessed Steve Jobs' email. I guessed Mark Zuckerberg's email. And I wrote to those guys and often I would get replies, right? You'd be surprised. Yeah, love that. Uh, you know, and I mean, I wrote something compelling, something useful, something based on, you know, what they were up to in the world, not, you know, when I get a lot of fan mail and a lot of times it's just garbage because they're just, you know, they're not writing anything compelling or anything useful for me. Uh, you know, they're just t sharing their life story, which is great. But like, you know, we don't have time to read people's life stories before, you know, you get to the point. But if you read an article about me or there was a truism in my book that, you know, held true to you, or you shared my book and you want to share that with me, that's providing value instantaneously. So there's so many ways that you can cut the corporate veil and get through the gatekeepers if you use ingenuity. Um, but people just don't do it, right? They're just not willing to do the work. They just, they want to, you know, they want to just play the luck and hope that Gary Vee replies to them. And that guy's getting thousands of, you know, inquiries a day. So you just got to figure out how do you get the inquiry to stand on the top of this pile? I've had so many creative entrepreneurs. They've sent me interesting things. They've sent me paintings. They've sent me, uh, you know, their product for free, their book for free. And when they do that, you know, they go to the top of the line of people that are unwilling to, you know, invest in a potential relationship with me, for example, 
as a potential mentor, potential advisor. So people just, you'd be surprised if you just actually think about a subject and dedicate five, six, seven hours to how do I get onto the desk of Ryan or how do I get onto the desk of Joel? How do I get onto the desk of Gary Vee, right? And you do five hours of research on his most recent videos. You'll find something that he said that is unique that nobody else saw and you can write him a note about the subject in a way that no one else is writing in, you know, maybe a handwritten note or go buy a book that he referenced or go buy a Jets jersey as I saw somebody do or whatever it is and you could get to him. But you just have to actually do the work, right? If you want to yeah. have that interaction. Yeah, it's like going the extra mile in order to get the attention, the exposure and to build the connection really. Yeah, and it's worth it, you know, but you know, but I, 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 like to build the connection intellectually. Um, and that is what most people that have achieved significant success, you know, they're looking to build intellectual connections. They're not just looking to build um, connections of where they're giving their mentorship, right? They want to receive something as well in the process. They're not just, you know, because when you're in the business of giving so much, if you're a corporate leader, you give to your employees all day long. Uh, and there's not much in life where you receive and so when a person shows up willing to give you something, it's, it feels good. And if you're a, a, a you know a altruistic leader like I am, you know you're going to see that and you're going to go, wow, this person stands out. I'll, I'll take a meeting with them. I had a person drive from Portland, uh, twenty something hours to have a fifteen minute meeting with me, and I built a ten year. I've had a relationship with that individual for ten years now, because I, and they didn't tell me that. Uh, they figured out a, a unique way to get in the door. And then when they showed up, I said, you know, oh, you know, how long are you in town for? And they said, well, I'm driving back home after this meeting. And I said, let me get this right. Straight, you drove, you know, 20 hours for a 15 minute meeting. And he goes, yeah. And I go, well, you know, let me give you more than 15 minutes because I felt terrible about sending him back on his way. And I've had a relationship with the individual ever since. So, you know, there's, there's ways to get, and, and I invested in his company. Uh, I've mentored him for free. Right, so he certainly got the value out of his twenty-hour drive. You'll almost, <laughs> you'll, you'll get almost a hundred percent of the value you put into it uh, if you put significant value. But most importantly, I think one the best piece of advice I have for your your audience is right now we are mastered by distraction, and you know the only way you can get to mastery is if you focus and if you. You know, if you focus on something for enough period of time, you can become a master of it. And focus means that you, you know, you're really in a contemplative mode on the particular subject. You read the book with your phone turned off. You watch the documentary with your phone turned off. You, you allocate the time to the audiobook without distraction. You, you, you don't take friends during this period of time. You have to spend 10 hours a day completely concentrated is the word I'm looking for. You have to have concentration to create mastery. And all of these apps and all of these phones and all of these social circles and all that stuff stop you from mastery. And I know people say like, oh, you should focus on your network. Well, yes, but your network also distracts you, okay? Because they're pinging you, they're updating you, they're commenting on your Instagram. And so you have to figure out a way to build your network in a compartment that is going to build a value, a network of value for you. 
but you also have to figure out a way to have a compartment where you can concentrate without distraction. I mean, no distraction, no, you know, in the silence where you can concentrate on building your product, building your message, building your offering and, and, and tell yourself, I'm not going to do anything until I write 10,000 words. You know, I'm not allowed to leave the house or pick up my phone or turn on my phone until I've read a hundred percent of this book that I haven't gotten through. You know, you have to force yourself to concentrate because you have, you know, actors out there like Mark Zuckerberg, I said actors like state actors and corporate actors trying to distract you for a living. The smartest human beings in the world want your attention. I'm talking pol politicians that have rooms of, you know, of trolls trying to steal your attention all around the world. You have the smartest individuals in there trying to steal your time and get your time onto their product or their offering so that you buy their stuff. You have to figure out how to take back your time and how to, you know, you're mastered by distraction these days. And I know it because I look at my screen time reports on Apple and there's other um, reports for Google. And I look at it and I go, my God, my week got away from me last week. Like I didn't want to spend four hours a day on, on the screen, right? That's not where my art is generated, where my creativity is, you know, most enhanced. So I have to look at that and say, okay, I got to put my phone down for the first three hours of the day. Like I'm not picking it up. Right. Or I'm only allowed to touch my phone during this period of time. You have to do that. Otherwise you will become mastered by distraction. And the opposite of mastery is distraction. Right. You don't <laughs> master anything. You want to be a billionaire. You got to master something. Great distinction. I love that. There's a book called black hole focus that I read a little while back. It's about really going into that deep work and having that focus. Nick, Nikola Tesla did it. You look at someone like, I mean, arguably one of the top hip hop artists uh, in the last decade, Drake. Yeah. He sold more, more hits than the Beatles. And yeah. he puts a do not disturb sign on his studio and he blocks out days. He'll turn his phone off for days straight just to put out some records, you know? And, yeah. You know, I look at I'll, this. I'm this, gonna check out that book, Black Hole Focus. Thank you for referring that. I love it. Honestly, you should check it out, man. Like, yeah, there's this this whole theory that, like, I guess the idea of the book, the concept of the book, came from this theory that Stephen Hawking said anything that goes into a black hole is destroyed. But then he had to come back out and say, actually, I was wrong. What I've discovered is anything that goes through a black hole is actually transformed. So that's uh, why this whole concept of like this black hole focus comes from. And I love uh, it, man. I love it. Yeah, I. You know, I, I have to tell you that the, the transformation that I've had physically and mentally and spiritually for that matter happened as a result of shutting off all communication other than what was vitally necessary. When I say vitally, vitally was I had to communicate with, um, you know, my accountant to make sure the bills were paid. I had to communicate with my son and that was it. And everybody else, friends, family, you know, they were all, uh, you know, I did a vow of silence for a quite a period of time where I didn't communicate with anybody. Uh, so I had to learn how to shut off everything and then reset so that I could then go back out there and start communicating new content, new ideas with new energy. And, you know, and so for those people that are suffering burnout or that are having anxiety or drain or, you know, they're just not able to get their energy right, you have to go into that black hole that you just described where you know you shut off everything yeah powerful stuff man powerful stuff yeah. 
So we're going to wrap up the interview real soon. I, I have a lot of respect for your time. I know you have a productive awesome. schedule. Uh, just real quick, when it comes to your vision, how do, you, how do you execute on your vision? Is there something that you hold in your mind when you come up with the idea of like your book or your brand or when you have somebody you know, come to your table and they're, they're talking about a business idea and you invest in it? How do you execute on the vision? All right, well, so great question. And I hear a lot of venture capitalists, you know, I, I was a member of a fund and I've invested in a bunch of companies. So I, I, what, I was a venture capitalist, I'm no longer investing uh, because now I'm investing in my own projects and that can be a conflict with some of the portfolio. So I'm no longer technically a venture capitalist, but I was for a minute. And I hear a lot of people talk about ideas, which, you know, vision ideas and execution. And ideas are the most important thing in the world. And VCs out there are doing a disservice to the world by saying it's all about execution. Who cares about ideas? Ideas are what change the world. Ideas are what elevate us. Ideas are what change humanity. Ideas are most important. But you have to execute on those ideas to bring them to reality, right? Now, what is execution to break down your question? You know, because people talk about, well, how do you execute? Execution is knowing what to do and how to do it. Okay, let's break that down a step further. Knowing what to do, okay, that's prioritization. So doing the things necessary for you to create the value that you need to create or that you desire to create or that you envision to create. Now, if, you're, that is, if that's a company, a company needs to create products or services. So you have the idea of a company, then you gotta break it down and, and go down to the level of product. And then how do you create the product? You might go down to the level of, you know, calling, you know, writing up a list of the manufacturers that you need to interview. You, you write up a list of the, uh, the vendors that are gonna be associated with your product. You write up a list of the things that need to be done in the product for sales copy, marketing copy, web copy, social media copy, shareables, blah, 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 right? So that's creating a list. So execution is knowing what to do and how to do it. What to do is creating a list of everything that you possibly could do and then prioritizing the things that are gonna create the most value and then doing those as best as you possibly can, not doing them all, doing the things on the list that have the greatest potential to create the value. So knowing what to do is prioritization. If you don't know what to do, do research, okay? So go on YouTube, study people who have done it. Uh, if I don't know what to do, if I want to create a, a retreat, as I know you've done, I would, I would call you up and I would study it. If you wouldn't take my call, I'd call somebody who knows you. I would buy a ticket to your retreat to, you know, to observe your retreat, to learn about how your retreat uh, operates so that way I could then create my own retreat. I would go on your YouTube. I would try to I'd interview your ex-girlfriend. I'd do whatever it took to find out <laughs> what you did and how you did it, right? If I didn't know what to do, like, like you know, what to do. You got to hire a caterer or you got to, you know, contact a hotel company. You got to, you know, um, find the right calendar time of year. About, there's a lot of things you have to do, partner with an airline. I don't know. You know, I've done some events in my life, but I would, if I don't know what to do, I would then do a tremendous amount of research to figure out what to do. And then once I wrote up a list of all the things that you need to do, I then prioritize which of those things is going to create the most value. I see a lot of people, they do the things on the list that are most valuable for them. Like it's most fun to write, you know, the manifesto, but to actually call the customer and to, you know, and, and to sell them is not fun. And so they want to do all the, you know, they, it's more fun to post on social media and reply to people than it is to call the people that are replying and talk to them about their life and get them to convert. 
right? It's more fun to, to create the content than it is to actually convert the content. And so I see a lot of people doing the things on the list that aren't creating the most value. And you can put a price tag next to each task on value creation. Like this, if I get this right, it's gonna give me 50,000 in value. If I get this right, it's gonna give me 100,000 in value. If I get this right, it's gonna give me a million in value. If I get a post right, it's just gonna make me feel good today, right? It's not gonna make me money today. But if I get a post that 100 people raise their hand and say I'll buy because I wrote good copy on my post, then that is value creation. So I should go write some copy so that way I you know, do a post that has good copy on it, if that's the game that you're playing in. So that's what to do, and then how to do it. Now how to do it, and once you know what to do and how to do it, you can execute on anything. Any vision, any idea can be executed if you know what to do and how to do it. So how to do it is seeking mentorship, right? Finding people that have done it, so that way you, know, you can ask them, how did you do it? Because I want to do it as well. Uh, how to do it is a lot of trial and error, like knowing exactly how to do it. You gotta actually get out there and do the thing that you're, you're seeking to bring to life. Um, you know, if, for example, of writing a book, how to do it. I've interviewed lots of authors that have done it. Uh, I've bought a lot of books from a lot of other authors as well as talked to them. I've watched many of marketing material or sales material from a variety of different authors. Um, I've watched their book videos. I've watched videos in, in comparable categories of book writing. I've read old books. I've bought old books. I've reverse engineered everything I can on how to write a book different formats, different processes. Um, I've bought master classes on the subject, right? You know, so I know how to do it. And then once you know what to do and how to do it, you just do your job. Now, if you wanna be a writer, you gotta write. And a job is what, eight hours a day. So I have to spend eight hours a day on my content. And that's what I do. I, I mean, I spend more than that. But so once you have an idea, then you have to know what to do. Then you have to know how to do it. And then you just do your job, okay? And doing your job is the equivalent amount of hours. You, to be a pro at anything, you gotta spend at least 10,000 hours at it. And that's 2,000 hours a week, or sorry, 2,000 hours a year, uh, which is 40 hours a week. And so that would be about five years. So 40 hours a week is about 2,000 hours a year. And so it takes you about five years. If you wanna speed up that process, spend 80 hours a week or 4,000 uh, hours a year. And so that takes you two years roughly to get to pro status, about 2.5 years. And so, you know, it takes time, it takes energy. So you have to know what, you have to have a vision or an idea. You have to know what to do, you know how to do it, and then you have to do your job. And you have to do your job for a long enough period of time until you become competent at your job. And once you become competent at your job, you can become a professional. Dude, what an amazing breakdown. I love it. Absolutely love it. Awesome stuff. Thank you. Awesome. Glad yeah, like it. great. Very tangible. I like this. Like if you're listening right now, this is such an actionable episode. There were so many points there that Ryan broke down. So take note, rewind this, pause it, replay it, whatever you need to do and implement the things that he's teaching. I'm glad I could be of value. I've, I, 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 yeah. For two years, I haven't given many interviews. I haven't done much because I've been working on these new projects. And, uh, and so it's just a privilege to be able to share some of this stuff. It's, it's given me some feedback too because you know, I'll replay the tape and I'll rewatch myself. And I hate that process, but I'll do it. And I'll, I'll hear every um, or I'll see everything and I'll go back and you know, I'll get better too. So we're all on the journey together. That's it, man. And, and then in the, in the uh, process, you get to practice not being the perfectionist too, because that's like one big thing for me. I'm writing a book right now and I do the same thing. I listen to the interviews that I've been a part of and, 
and I'm like transcribing some points. And sometimes when you're in that flow, you've got new stuff coming out and you want to yeah. capture it. And it is, you're right. You kind of listen to yourself and you're like, Oh, okay. All right. Next time I'm probably going to explain it in a better way. It's yeah. good. It's good to do that. Yeah. Just study yourself and, and course correct. Yeah, you have to, you know, I replay the tape, but I, I love playing sports. So I watch my, I play basketball. I box, I video myself and I'll share it on my social media just for fun to see my progress and connect with people on the subject. But I video myself because I want to watch my shot and see how my shots improved. I video myself because I want to see how I'm boxing so I can improve my boxing. And the same holds true for us that create content, whether it be a book or documentary or social media content, right? We have to watch and be our, we have to be our greatest critics so that way we can um, get better and, and, and hire coaches and listen to the feedback of the people uh, in your audience, which I, I do every day. I, I highly engage with my fans uh, and, and receive their feedback because it teaches me, even the negative feedback teaches me, and especially when I don't like the feedback, like they say, oh, you didn't explain too much about how to do it. My current book is uh, how to think, what to think, when to think, and then what to do, what actions to take now that you have these new thoughts, right? That's the format. And it was given to me by critics because my last book I shared my, uh, my last two books I've shared more of my inspirational narrative and my experiential narrative, but I didn't tell people like exactly what techniques and tactics I utilize. So my current book is much more, the work I'm working on now is much more practical and tactical because I have built a lot of tactics around and philosophies around the things that have led me to the achievements that I've achieved, but I just didn't share them in my first two books because those were more about the stories of, of the success, the ups and downs, because I shared a lot of the negative uh, stories as well. This one is much more practical in nature. So I'm glad I could share and, and provide value. And if any of your fans want to engage with me, I'm happy to continue to uh, continue this dialogue that we're having here. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate awesome. that. Now, before we wrap up the interview, uh, I just want to make sure that you can share where you are online and then also when we can expect this book to come out so that uh, the listeners yeah. can stay tuned. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, a book is roughly 70,000 words and I've already wrote, written 700,000 words. So I'm in the process of now reducing <laughs> uh, the words, which is the best place that you can be. Uh, so I'm in the, I, my pen is down to the most part. I'm doing the editing at this stage. So it'll be out sooner rather than later. And I might just drop it as a surprise. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I'm, I'm working hard with my publishers and some other folks on the subject to bring it sooner rather than later. That said, you can engage directly with me on my Instagram. That's pretty much the only place I check these days. Under the, It's at Real Ryan Blair. Uh, I'm on the other platforms as well, but I, I don't really respond directly uh, on those as I spend most of my time writing. I take breaks to test some content and connect with some folks on Instagram. Uh, but if you want to buy my book, you can buy it on Amazon or where all major books are sold. Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, as well as Rock Bottom to Rockstar, both with Penguin. And if you can't afford to buy my book, you can watch my documentary on YouTube, which is Nothing to Lose, the documentary. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ryan. Now, I always end every interview with this last question. And this question is, and Tony Robbins, when he heard it, he was like, oh, he got kind of taken back a bit. And he, he's like, okay, cool. And he, he crushed it, obviously. Uh, the question is, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Take care of your children. They are the future. Harmonize with Mother Earth. 
we are destroying this earth right now and we need to fix it, be in harmony, that there are forces at work that you cannot see. Get your mind right, get your body right. You know, don't worry about the small stuff. Focus on being the best version you possibly can be. Do what you love. Fall in love with your ideas and don't take shit from anybody. 